0: If we do get contagion into other regional banks, which we have not seen so far, I think the Fed does have other cards to play.
1: Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.
2: In the wake of Silicon Valley banks collapse, investors are left wondering what's next. On today's special episode, Portfolio Managers Alfred Lee, Omkar Malker, and your host Kevin Prince look for signs of contagion in other regional banks and analyze what cards the Fed has to play. They also discuss where the trouble began, inflation, volatility in the bond market, a silver lining for equities, and ways to capitalize on Canadian banking. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca.
3: Welcome back to Views from the Desk. This is Kevin Prince hosting today's session, and I'm joined with Alfred Lee, and Om Karmarkar. Thanks, guys. I'd love to have the portfolio managers talk about this week because since our last session where we recorded the podcast, it's been a very busy week in the markets. We're certainly seeing volatility pick up. Let's get into some of the core reasons we're seeing that. And let's start off with the big news since our last recording is really on SVB Bank and the Signature Bank and the events that unfolded over the weekend. Maybe, Alfred, you can give us some Insights of what's been going on and some backstory behind it, please?
0: Sure, a lot to unpack. Um, as you mentioned, it was a pretty eventful weekend, starting on Friday, just with Silicon Valley Bank and then later with Signature. But maybe what I could do is just you know set the stage and just describe what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and how it ended up in receivership and then later on with Signature Bank as well. But Silicon Valley Bank, you know essentially its business is essentially servicing. The Silicon Valley area, as its name suggests. Um, So, you know, its core business is basically dealing with a lot of tech companies and a lot of startup companies as well. It does offer a range of products, including things like, you know, loan, uh, loans, cash management, deposit services, commercial finance. So not too different from any deposit taking institution. I think what makes it unique is its client base, which again is a lot of the Ah, uh, tech-related companies in the region, and also a lot of startup companies as well. But essentially, you know how it got in trouble was, um, you know, over the last couple of years. Obviously, we know that interest rates have been at historical lows uh, due to you know us being in the pandemic, uh, the Fed bringing interest rates down to zero in order to fight the pandemic and re- stimulate the economy as well. But because of that, you know, low interest rates, a lot of the customers at Silicon Valley essentially became very flush with cash. Um, typically, you know, when a bank has a lot of deposits, what they do is they take those deposits, reloan it out uh, in longer term loans, such as, you know, commercial loans, uh, traditional retail loans, mortgages and whatnot, in order to earn a higher margin. Um, but in the last couple of years, you know, demand for loans has been relatively low, um, just because you know, for the most part, we were um, essentially locked up and, you know, there wasn't a lot of activity in the economy going on. Um, So because of that, you know, the demand for loans were pretty low. I read somewhere that the uptake for loans out of the deposits at Silicon Valley Bank was about 15%. So typically what a bank does with the excess cash is they will reinvest it in risk-free securities. So think of this as, you know, um, treasuries, bonds issued by the government, Uh, mortgage-backed securities and and whatnot, which typically are, you know, quote-unquote risk-free. Where it got into trouble was because if you look back uh, a year ago before the Fed started raising rates, uh, interest rates were essentially paying you nothing, right? So in order to get any kind of yield, what Silicon Valley had to do was take on duration risk. So go out further in the curve in order to get some kind of yield. And when you look at a bank, um, a bank typically has two portfolios. There is an available for sale uh, portfolio, uh, which is typically you know, what they, uh, you put your uh, shorter term securities in there, your more highly liquid securities typically go in that available for security portfolio. Th- what makes that uh, portfolio unique is that it's marked to market on a daily basis. The other portfolio is the health and maturity. So the health and maturity typically is you know, your longer dated securities. Thing that things that you're going to hold until maturity, uh, as the name suggests. So because of that, because you're holding those bonds until maturity, there's no need to mark those securities to market because they eventually end up maturing at par value. The trick in that, however, the little wrinkle in that is that if you tap into that held to maturity portfolio and you need to liquidate even one bond, the entire portfolio is going to be remarked, and it's going to be mark-to-market for the entire portfolio. So the challenge in this with a lot of the regional banks, um, especially with Silicon Valley Bank, is that once you sell one bond in that portfolio in order to raise for liquidity, what happens is the entire portfolio gets marked to market So we were reading that you know, even if you were to take the mark-to-market um, of Silicon Valley's portfolio as of last September, just because rates have gone up so much. uh, The value of those bonds were, um, you know, essentially they've sold off quite a bit, even as of last September, which, um, you know, that portfolio was already worth less than the value of the common equity of Silicon Valley. So, you know, technically we were reading that Mm -hmm. it was already bankrupt, you know, on a technical basis, even Mm -hmm. as of last September. So last week, Silicon Valley, what they wanted to do was they wanted to issue more equity just to shore up more capital. Um, people started sniffing out that they potentially may be in trouble. So depositors started, um, you know, taking cash or withdrawing cash uh, from the institution or from Silicon Valley. And then uh, before you know it, between Thursday and Friday, we saw the stock closed on Thursday at two hundred and sixty-seven dollars. Uh, or sorry, that was on Wednesday, and by Thursday it was already at one hundred and six dollars, and then Friday it even failed to open. So that's why we've seen a lot of volatility with the regional banks. Um, signature Bank by Sunday uh, was put into receivership, very similar to what we saw with Silicon Valley Bank, and it didn't open on Monday. So, so a Signature Bank again, its specialty is tends to be you know dealing with a lot of. Uh, it's the primary lender for a lot of digital assets, including a lot of cryptocurrency exchanges. Um, so, so far, you know, the banks that have gotten in trouble, their client base tend has tended to be dealing with a lot of tech startups and a lot of cryptocurrency type customers as well.
3: That's interesting, Alfred, that you're highlighting the, you know, the tech startups being served by Silicon Valley Bank, as well as the crypto from Signature Bank. So, If those two companies were more focused on servicing and supporting the tech heavy industry and venture capital for that matter, too, why do we see the other regional banks uh, trading lower right now? For example, like First Republic or Western Alliance.
0: You're right. I mean, you know, yesterday, um, a lot of the regionals did um, trade lower um, because of a lot of the uncertainty in the market Uh, today. They're up. So when I look at, you know, Western Alliance, that's up roughly 30 percent intraday. First Republic is up. 40% Forty percent as well. Uh, some other names that were down yesterday also up as well, such as East East West Bancorp. Um, but the concerns there was that um, you know over the weekend what happened was that a lot of the uh, regulators came together and they basically came out and said they were going to make um, the depositors at both Signature and Silicon Valley um, essentially whole. So the depositors. know, typically what happens in a bankruptcy event is that FDIC would essentially would uh, ensure, you know, depositors up to uh, 250,000. The regulators essentially came out and backstopped um, all depositors at both of those banks, making depositors 100% whole, uh, which was a unique situation. Um, And the, uh, you know, the, what they, Are attempting to do there is try to prevent a run on the banks. So the concern over the weekend was that, you know, let's think about it if you are uh, a depositor at another regional bank, if you were to see that, um, you know, two banks over the weekend were to go bankrupt and you were a depositor at one of the other regional banks, the first thing you would do on Monday morning was probably go to that bank and withdraw your money. Um, so you know the Fed's move and the regulators' move essentially was to, you know, backstop the FDIC, essentially making all those depositors whole, uh, in hopes that it's going to prevent um, other depositors at other banks that are solvent at this time um, to essentially prevent them from removing their deposits. But I think you know why the stocks were trading down was because you know there were some concerns that. Um, you know, the regulator's backstop was not enough. So there were concerns that, um, you know, even in the wake of uh, the regulators making those depositors whole, uh, you would see some of those depositors move their assets to um, higher quality banks or some of the larger banks. So we we did read that, um, you know, some of the, the uh, deposits had moved to, you know, larger banks like JP Morgan and Citibank. Um, there's also, I think, some concerns that, the health and maturity securities in some of those other regional banks potentially would get marked to market um, by the market as well, which would see the uh, value of their stocks essentially move lower. But you know, so far today on, on Tuesday, uh, the markets seem to have calmed uh, quite a bit. So hopefully the Feds and other regulators move to backstop uh, the two banks is enough to prevent a contagion to other regional
1: banks.
3: Offer, that makes
1: sense. BMO ETFs is proud to launch 10 new tickers with a range of solutions covering fixed income, sector-based covered calls, and inflation solutions. The BMO U.S. Aggregate Bond Index ETF, ticker ZUAG, gives investors access to the broad U.S. market for shorter-duration bonds. Two new covered call funds in energy and healthcare tickers, ZWEN and ZWHC, respectively, are now available for sector-focused investors. For those seeking inflation-fighting funds, the BMO Global Agriculture ETF or BMO US Tips Index ETFs, tickers ZEAT and TIPS, satisfy both equity and bond solutions to rising consumer prices. Visit BMOATFs.ca
3: for more. I understand what the uh, the backstop is for the depositors. Um, maybe is there other preventative measures that maybe the government or Fed can do in this situation or other situations like this? So far, it
0: looks like it is enough. Um, but keep in mind, you know, with the banking industry, you know, very similar to other bank runs that we've seen historically. Um, it tends to be very psychological. Right. I mean, a lot of a lot of times, you know, banks aren't necessarily in trouble. But if all of a sudden, um, you know, depositors start removing their deposits, you're going to get a bank run. Right. So it's very psychological. Um, you know, all banks run on a fractional reserve uh, banking system where uh, they do loan out their deposits. So if every depositor comes out and says, you know, I'm going to remove my deposits, um, you know, there's not going to be enough to make all those depositors whole. So, so far, it does seem like the regulators move to make those two banks whole has uh, done enough to uh, prevent um, you know other depositors from panicking at, at this time being. But I think if we do get contagion into other regional banks, which we have not seen so far, I think the Fed does have other cards to play all of which I think would be inflationary in nature. So I think, you know, one of the options would be um, they would be able to take all the health and maturity securities from the banks, um, bring it onto their own balance sheet uh, and give them par value um, in terms of cash or other highly liquid assets um, to the banks in order to uh, provide liquidity to the banks. The other alternative would to be Uh, Do something like QE, which is something we saw with the Bank of England uh, back in the fall, if you recall. um, You know when the uh, pensions uh, essentially ran into trouble when uh, the Bank of England announced quantitative tightening, and they had to reverse the process and do uh, quantitative easing. So the aim in that would essentially be uh, bring down low, lower term, uh, or sorry, longer term yields to reflate the held to maturity portfolio uh, with a lot of the banks. Uh, and essentially, you know, reflate that portfolio um, um, and make them, you know, um, more solvent or, or um, you know, increase the value of that specific portfolio. Uh, so that would be another option. Uh, the other option would be essentially to backstop the FDIC and give them unlimited insured uh, insurance power. So I think all three of these are going to be inflationary in nature just because um, it does force the Fed to increase their balance sheet. Um, the other option is you, know, you let the regional banks fail. Um, what I've read is that um, you know, after all the bankruptcy proceedings, uh, if you recover all the assets, you're able to make all the depositors around 85 to 90% uh, whole. Um, that's a rumored number. Um, that's what I've been reading so far. The challenge in that is that if you let a lot of the banks fail, you don't know where that contagion is going to stop.
3: It sounds like they have a few tools to look at for consideration. And uh, to your point, it doesn't seem like it's being contained right now with their current uh, backstop they put in place. I mean, one thing I'm certainly hearing about and talking about out there is, um, you know, Fed rate hikes and how that's going to be impacted going forward and some discussion around that. Uh, Alfred, you know, what's the thoughts in regards that you're hearing for the upcoming uh, meeting on the 22nd?
0: First off, I'll start by saying that, you know, a lot could definitely happen between now and March 22nd. Um, You know, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of economic data. You know, hopefully we don't see any kind of, you know, bank related headlines, as I mentioned, you know, so far we're recording this on Tuesday. Um, It seems like the markets are pretty calm so far. Um, But, you know, just looking at what the market is pricing in, uh, looking at the overnight index swaps market, it's essentially pricing in that. Uh, We get a 50% chance that we still get a rate hike by the Fed on the March 22nd meeting. Um, And the market is pricing in that um, if we don't get a hike at the March 22nd meeting, the likelihood is that we're going to get another 25 basis points um, at the next meeting, which is March or sorry, May 3rd. Um, I saw, you know, uh, people out there like Jeffrey Gunlack saying that March, we're probably going to get another 25 basis point rate hike and then we're going to uh, get a pause by the Fed um, after that March meeting. But you know, when you're looking at some of the economic data, I think uh, CPI came in earlier this morning. So uh, the CPI year-over-year number came in at 6%. Uh, the previous number was 6.4%. So the, I think the good news is that inflation, inflation is trending in the right direction. So we, uh, I think the Fed does have a little bit of breathing room here. But on top of that, I think if we do get Another, you know, uh, sell off day as we saw yesterday, hopefully we won't. I think uh, the rate hike is probably off the table. But, you know, as we were saying, you know, in in the fall of last year, the likelihood is that the Fed is going to get or, you know, do a pause in the spring, which we are seeing. Um, We saw the Bank of Canada take a pause. Um, The likelihood is that the Fed is very close to uh, finish um, its hiking process. Um, It's either going to stop After the next 25 basis points, or we get a pause right here uh, before the next meeting. But um, I think what's changed with a lot of investors is that, you know, previous in the past, um, a lot of investors thought that rate cuts were a high, you know, highly unlikely for the remainder of this year. But, you know, definitely with a lot of the challenges that we've been seeing, uh, potentially we do get some. Uh, rate cuts this year um, if a lot of these headlines continue. But, you know, as I've mentioned so far, uh, so good. Um, As of Tuesday, it seems like the markets have calmed considerably.
3: Thanks for that, Alfred. Oh, I want to bring you into this conversation because I want to touch a little bit now on products and, you know, how they've been trading inside the respective markets. And, and for example, bank ETFs such as BMO Equate US Bank ETF, ZBK was impacted through this trading because of course it does hold signature bank and it does hold uh, uh, silicon valley so can you highlight how it's been trading and maybe give us some insights of spreads and you know how advisors and an institution best execute in this situation
4: yeah for sure uh that's a great great question kevin so zbk which is our equal weight us bank index or even zwk which is our bmo covered call us bank etf you know, it's been a tough, tough week for US banks, uh, for sure. And as Alfred mentioned, both the SIVB, which is the Silicon Valley Bank, and Signature Bank both went in receivership. So this has caused a lot of volatility um, in the markets, and especially in the financial sector in the US. And from this, what we have seen is there are other regional banks, such as First Republic and Western Alliance, uh, you know, which were halted due to uh, due to the high volatility that we saw in the market and due to that you know this has impacted the ETF uh, such as ZBK and ZWK causing them to higher, have higher spreads. In terms of how they're trading right now you know as Alfred mentioned they they are up on the day today. however you know there's still a lot of volatility uh, in these names still a lot of uncertainty in terms of uh, do they have enough deposits? Will be will they be able to uh, have enough uh, deposits if clients come and start withdrawing uh, uh, drastically? So I, I would say in terms of, uh, you know, trading these ETFs, it's best, uh, you know, if, if you're trying to get in or get out, you know, it's best to use limit prices. And that's, you know, just as best practice. And, you know, as I mentioned, due to higher volatility, you know, the bid and ask spreads have widened. Uh, you know, versus, you know, what we would see in a normal uh, normal market environment. So, you know, by using limit prices, you know, this ensures that the client is protected from any market volatility and, you know, you get in or get out at the price uh, that you were hoping for. Uh, second, you know, I would say, uh, you know, reach out to your ETF specialist as well. And they can, you know, they can guide you through the execution uh, of the trade and they can guide you in terms of, you know, what they're seeing and how what prices that someone can get in or get out. But, you know, I would say that, you know, the, what started last week on, you know, Thursday, Friday, that volatility is still carried forward uh, into this week. Uh, and we, we haven't seen it uh, go down, uh, even though we have seen kind of the Feds come in and uh, provide support. Uh, so I would, I would say um, when trading these ETFs to be a bit more cognizant of the volatility.
3: Thanks, And I actually think that limit orders are something good to trade in any time frame. Period. Uh, agreed. Amid
1: elevated interest rates and market volatility, consider six BMO ETFs yielding over 6%, including the BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, featuring solid historical dividend growth. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Bank's ETF ticker ZWB invests solely in Canadian financials, presenting an attractive valuation opportunity. Or the BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF ticker ZWU provides exposure to an equal weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.ca and search for tickers ZWC, ZWB, and ZWU.
3: Hey, you mentioned a second ago a bit about the BMO Cover Call U.S. Banks ETF. You know, part of that ETF, of course, is utilizing options for the call. What's going on with premiums with this increased volatility?
4: Yes, you know, in, in short, volatility has increased drastically uh, uh, and mainly in the regional banks. So, but we also see, we also saw bond volatility and equity volatility increase uh, with bond volatility. You know, they, they reached levels not seen since 2009. So I just wanted to highlight that yes, even though you know it was more a U.S. regional bank, uh, you know meltdown in a way, we we saw bond volatility increase dra- drastically, and that was mainly you know as we saw Treasury yield suffering, um, you know historical plunges, you know as you know we saw markets and traders scaled back their rate hike expectations, uh, onto kind of the option premiums uh, due to this increased volatility. Uh, We saw regional banks such as, you know, again, First Republic or Western Alliance, you know, volatility on these names went up tenfold. You know, they're trading at 300, 400 wall levels uh, compared to what they were trading at pre last week, you know, Wednesday, Thursday. And based on these higher walls, you know, we are able to monetize much more uh, on uh, an option premium in uh, ZWK. Uh, and you know, to give you an example, what we did to manage some of the risk and uh, volatility within the uh, ZWK, the covered call uh, U.S. Bank ETF, uh, we rolled uh, down some of our uh, some of our call options to take advantage of the higher volatility and collect that premium upfront.
3: Thanks, Olm. That's very interesting, yeah. Alfred. Let me bring you back to the conversation. Looking at the Fed itself, and let's say it is maybe changing its policy from uh, raising rates. What does that mean, for, I guess, for equities and bonds? I mean, we're certainly seeing a volatility in the bond market more recently. Is this all related? Give us some insights, please.
0: Yeah, you know, I think uh, Ohm raised a lot of good points. Um, you know, as he mentioned, interest rate volatility hasn't been this high since 2009. Um, but, you know, if you take things back to you, even a week ago, The market was essentially pricing in another 75 to 100 basis points by uh, the Fed, right, just in terms of what it needed to do in terms of, um, you know, its fight against inflation. But, you know, because those two banks went into receivership over the weekend um, and increased a lot of, you know, um, volatility and a lot of uncertainty in the the market, Uh, but not just the market, just the economy as a whole as well. Because of that, you know, it's highly unlikely that we're going to see uh, those seventy five to one hundred basis points. Um, you know, as I mentioned, um, you know off the top, I think the likelihood is that we maybe get another twenty five basis points at most. Um, so we saw a lot of repricing in the market uh, just in terms of what bonds were pricing in in terms of what the Fed was going to do. You know, I think the good thing for ETF investors is that um, due to a lot of the interest rate volatility and then you know the knock-on effects in terms of credit, Um, The good thing about ETFs is that, you know, with ETFs, they could quickly reposition and, you know, hedge their bond portfolios or, you know, reposition where they want to be in terms of not just uh, interest rates, but also credit as well. Uh, We do have our three by three matrix. So that's, you know, everything from, um, you know, short credit uh, through our short credit uh, or short corporate bond ETF. And you could even, you know, take a view just in terms of long federal bonds, for example, which is ZFL. Um, so I, I think the good thing with ETFs is that even though we are seeing a lot of interest rate volatility, uh, which potentially feeds into the credit market as well, uh, the good thing with ETFs is that they offer investors not just broad-based exposure from this point, but also very um, precise exposures as well, which allows investors to, you know, properly position their portfolios because. You know, In the past, even 10 to 15 years ago, uh, they would have had to do this through uh, single bonds, which would have been a lot more difficult even for not just retail investors, but also institutional investors as well.
3: Alfred, thanks for your insight specifically around fixed income and positioning in that case in regards towards the Fed and if it, if it eases or changes its direction effectively. Um, maybe give us a little more insights on what would happen in the world for equities in that situation, please.
0: Yeah, so I think the good news is that, you know, if it this is um, contained to, you know, the U.S. banking sector, I mean, so far, we've seen it pretty contained where it's not, um, you know, widely spread. So even the U.S. banking sector, a lot of the larger names like JP Morgan and Citi uh, seem to be unaffected so far. Um, so in the likelihood or in, in the instance that, um, you know, the crisis is contained to a lot of the regions and if the Fed has done enough and the regulators have done enough to backstop uh, everything to prevent the contagion. I think the silver lining in all of this is that uh, the Fed uh, potentially will pause on interest rates or do another 25 basis points, which is going to be good for risk assets in, in general. Um, you know, Outside of that, I think, as I mentioned, CPI numbers have been coming down, um, as we mentioned in the past as well. Uh, typically, when you raise interest rates, it takes 18 to 24 months for those Higher rates to take into effect. Um, So, a lot of the Fed moves that we've seen over the last year, we haven't even really felt the full brunt of it um, at this point. But, you know, with the market prior to this week uh, pricing in another 75 basis points and another 100 basis points in rate hikes, um, with those off the table, I think that that potentially is good for um, equities in general, right? So, uh, for investors, Um, that are bullish, you know, they could use, you know, things like ETFs to take advantage of uh, the recent sell-off in the instance that we don't see uh, further contagion. So um, a lot of options for investors. I mean, even, you know, ZED, uh, the Canadian banks, um, you could argue that the Canadian banks are a lot more well capitalized and their exposure to U.S. banks, um, you know, is is pretty minimal. Um, You know, the core of the Canadian banking operations are Um, tend to be very sound, our banking system is very sound, uh, independently regulated. Uh, Prior to this instance, we always touted that, you know, Canadian banks were trading at very attractive valuations um, overall. Um, So again, you know, ETFs like our ZEB, which is our BMO equal weighted uh, bank index ETF, that's a good way to get exposure to the big six banks. Um, For those investors that want to monetize the volatility on top of the Canadian banks, uh, ZWB, which is our covered call Canadian bank ETF, that's another option as well. Um, but, you know, for those investors that want to go even more broad. Um, so, for instance, you know, even with the market sell off that we saw on Monday, at one point, the NASDAQ was up, I think, one and a half percent intraday uh, before, you know, most of the broad market indexes from the Dow Jones, uh, NASDAQ and the S&P 500 essentially closed roughly flat. Um, So for investors that want to take advantage of, you know, the sell off, um, but believe um, we're not going to see contagion. And if, you know, the crisis is more specific to, um, you know, the U.S. banking sector, then potentially it is a good buying opportunity for the broader market. So, for example, um, you know, we have ETFs that provide exposure to um, the S&P 500, which is, Uh, ZSP. We have our Nasdaq 100 ETF as well, which is ZNQ. Um, And also uh, the Dow Jones as well, which is uh, ZDJ. So a lot of options out there, uh, both in unhedged and currency hedged uh, versions. Um, So it does allow investors to easily equitize um, if they do want to take advantage of the sell-off and if they do believe that it will be contained to the US banking sector.
3: Alfred, thanks for that. Appreciate the insights. Om, also appreciate all your insights. I'm going to thank the audience for joining us today too, because this brings us to a close. And you know what? We covered a lot of ground this week. Thank you one more for your insights. And I look forward to next week because I think we'll have a couple more things to talk about as the weeks go on going forward.
2: Cheers, guys. Thank you to Kevin Prince, Alfred Lee, and Om Karmalker for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Equal Weight Banks Index ETF, ticker ZEB, which provides exposure to Canada's Big Six. Our experts also discussed the BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF, ticker ZWB, which invests in a diversified portfolio of Canadian banks while earning call option premiums. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, Check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at BMOETFs.ca. That's BMOETFs.ca.
1: Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.
2: The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management, Inc. and BMO Investments, Inc. operate.